On the last day of the spring 2010 term, the U.S. Supreme Court handed down its long-awaited ruling in Bilski v. Kapos. From that moment, everyone from business executives to scientists have been trying to piece together the court's opinion and understand what it could mean for their intellectual property protection. Finnegan partner Erica Arner represented Bilski before the Supreme Court, co-authored Bilski's briefs to the high court, and sat second chair at the oral argument. She joins us now to provide Finnegan's non-legal audience with a clearer look at the ruling and to explain what inventors, scientists, and business owners need to know moving forward. Erica, thanks for joining us. Could you begin with a brief overview of the Bilski ruling for the non-legal listeners in our audience? The Bilski case really started as a patent application. Bernard Bilski is an individual, an inventor, who worked for a power company. And in the 1990s, he and a co-worker, uh, Rand Warsaw, invented a new way to sell energy to customers to minimize the risk involved due to weather fluctuations. So they filed a patent application at the patent office, and the patent office rejected their application and said that the method that they had come up with for hedging this risk in energy transactions was not the kind of subject matter that's eligible for patenting. Bilski appealed to an intermediate court we call the Federal Circuit, and that court agreed with the patent office that Bilski's application was not eligible for patenting. But rather than just agreeing and saying that that was the case, the Federal Circuit said all processes in any technology area, whether it's energy trading or some other area, every process in order to be patentable has to be tied to a machine or has to transform raw materials. And we call that the machine or transformation test. And that was a much more broad ruling than just Bilski's patent application. And at that point, Bilski uh, retained us to go to the Supreme Court to ask them to reverse that broad ruling. And last month, that's just what they did. The Supreme Court decided that that machine or transformation requirement was too limiting and that the patent law is much broader than that. They agreed on the Bilski application. They agreed with the Federal Circuit. That particular application, patent application, was not eligible, but they disagreed with the narrowing approach uh, and instead said the patent laws are much broader than that. All right. So from your conversations with Finnegan clients since the court's decision, what questions have been popping up regarding business method patents? Where do you see things going from here? What are you telling clients? Yeah, so I think the most common question I get from everyone, not just clients, is what is a business method patent? As with most things legal, there isn't a, an agreed-upon simple answer. But if you think about it, a business method is just that. It's any way of doing business. It could be a, a way that you process transactions, a way that you manage customer data, a way that you organize your supply chain. Any way that a business operates could be a business method. That's something different, though, from a business method patent. When you add the word patent, you really are saying that it's not just a way of doing business, but a patent is only eligible for something that is new, that has never been done before, never been described publicly. So these are very innovative business methods kind of at the very cutting edge of where business innovation is happening. That's really where business method patents live because there are those requirements in order to get a patent that the uh, new process be innovative, never done before, specifically described. It's a very high burden to show that a business method is worthy of a patent. So, Erica, maybe you could give us a, an overview. What did the court actually decide in the Bilski case? 
Well, there were two questions that we presented to the Supreme Court in our petition, uh, and they answered both of those in a very positive way for the patent community. Uh, the first holding was that a process can be patentable even if it is not tied to a particular machine or transforming uh, subject matter. So the limiting machine or transformation test that the lower court had adopted is not the only test. The Supreme Court held the patent laws are broader than that. What can be patented is broader than that. And the second question was whether or not business methods can be excluded from patenting simply because they're business methods. And the court said no. The court held that although Bilski's business method was not eligible, there are business methods that are eligible for patenting, provided that they are new and non-obvious and the other requirements of the Patent Act. So that was a very positive outcome for innovators in you know, business today. And you had mentioned earlier in our conversation that there's a high burden for achieving a patent for a business method. Uh, but as you just mentioned here, the, the court has left that door open. So what kind of companies should be pursuing business method patents at this point? Well, a patent gives a competitive advantage. A patent is a limited monopoly that the government grants to a company. And so all companies, uh, when considering whether or not to get a patent, should consider whether or not a patent can give them a competitive advantage, the right to stop a competitor from practicing their invention. And in the business world, uh, really business methods come in at the intersection between business and technology. And so if a company is coming up with new ways to run a business or to um, conduct transactions, to conduct maybe um, online product sales, or to find a new way to organize a global supply chain uh, from end to end, those kind of business um, problems, if there are innovative solutions to those problems, a company can patent those and then protect those from being used by others, or perhaps use their patent as a way to license those innovative technologies to others and to monetize the hard work that they've done to develop these new systems. So the very fundamental reasons to get a patent apply in business just as much as they apply in any other technology area. How does the Bilski case affect computer software and other technology areas? Well, that was a, a big question before the Supreme Court's decision came out. There were many technology areas where there was a lot of concern about the case. And that concern stemmed from the lower court's decision. In today's society, of course, there are lots of uh, information uh, economy processes that have nothing to do with physical machines. And that, those are the pieces, computer software, for example, linear programming, diagnostic methods, uh, methods of treating diseases. Uh, there are lots of other areas that uh, are eligible for patenting. And indeed, in the Supreme Court's decision, they called some of those out in particular and said, this machine or transformation requirement is backward looking. Times have changed, and the patent laws need to change to keep up with that. Uh, so I think it was a very positive outcome for the areas involving computer software, involving diagnostic methods. Um, I think we're headed in the right direction for patenting in those areas. There's still a good deal of confusion in the legal industry around the exact definition of a patent-eligible abstract idea. Could you possibly provide some clarity here? 
the test is not machine or transformation. That's what the Supreme Court said. Instead, they said the real focus on whether an invention can be patented is whether it claims an abstract idea, because everyone agrees that you cannot get a patent. That's a government-granted monopoly. You can't get a patent on an abstract idea. And that makes sense at a very basic level. Um, an example of an abstract idea is a mathematical formula. So if you have a mathematical formula, that is not patentable. It's free to everyone to use. It's one of the fundamental building blocks of technology, and that's well settled. The problem becomes, of course, no one files a patent application that just has a mathematical formula and nothing else. And so the problem becomes deciding when an invention, maybe it uses math. For example, it might use a mathematical formula in an overall process that processes image data to better display it on a certain type of mobile device. But there is some math involved. Is that trying to patent the abstract idea, the math, or is that trying to patent just an application, in this case an image processing for a PDA, for example? That kind of application, the courts have said, is patentable as long as the abstract idea is applied in a particular situation. But if you're closer on the spectrum to just the abstract idea itself, just the mathematical formula, or just an idea like giving a customer a discount makes it more likely that they'll buy a product, if it's just something like that, then it can't be patented. So there's no clear-cut answer. There's no bright line for when something is abstract versus when it's a, an application. But that's really where the questions are uh, when a patent application is filed. So while the lines may not be clearly drawn, uh, there's still plenty of opportunity as we look ahead, correct? That's right. There are many cases that are pending at lower courts right now that involve this issue and will hopefully will give us some examples of other types of patent applications in computer software, in diagnostics, in biotechnology. These cases hopefully will give us decisions from the courts that will help us understand what are the boundaries of an abstract idea and show us the, the vast swaths of subject matter that are still eligible for patenting after the Supreme Court's decision. Great insight. Erica, thank you so much. Sure, thank you. Our guest has been Erica Arner, a partner at Finnegan, one of the largest IP law firms in the world. To stay current on the Bilski decision, to listen to other podcasts in the series, and to receive additional information on the firm, please visit www.finnegan.com. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Finnegan. <laughs>